Tucker with Tucker on him. Throws it up for Aiden. Shot blocked by Antetokounmpo. What a block from Giannis. The second quarter was two-pronged. It had an effect both for the Bucks and for the Sun. Quoting Jerry Seinfeld, you believe this will have a two-pronged effect. We're talking about the roommate switch, right? Great episode. I got it! This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Last night felt so good, and yet it also hurt so bad. What's the Aaron Rodgers phrase? A beautiful mystery. Last night was a beautiful contradiction for me. Because these Bucks games, especially last night, in game three, the games the Bucks are winning, they're incredible. They're awesome. But they are uh, taking years off my life. It's like watching three Packer games a week. That's what life is like as a Bucks fan right now. Because Packer games are the highest stakes or the most stressful sporting event we have. Now, of course, if the Brewers or the Bucks are in the playoffs, that's different. But if we're talking regular season, routine games, ho-hum, sit down and watch, Packers are the most stressful. It's only 16 games. It's a physical sport, right? Every play in every game means so much. But normally in between Packer games, we get six days off. We get to recover and rest and recuperate. And I'm not even being dramatic. I need six days off after every Packer game. Right now, it's like we have three of those a week. You wrap one up. It's like, all right, Saturday night, line it up, do, do it again. And last night, because the Bucks won, it was special. I got to watch my team in the finals. The game was narrated brilliantly by Mike Breen, who is the absolute greatest announcer of all time. I watched the game with some of my best friends. I watched on my brand new TV. Special night. I can't say that I'd feel the same today if my team had lost. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be good sport, great game, just want to see a good game guy. Certainly helps that my team won 109-103. Bucks tie the series up 2-2. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills, and if you came here for Brewers talk or Packers talk, sorry. Because uh, we're only talking about the Bucks today. I feel like I've gone out of my way to mix in some other topics, even though the Bucks are in the finals. Just because I know the NBA isn't everybody's main squeeze. The NBA ain't your main squeeze? Well, get on board today. Because the NBA is going to be our collective main squeeze today. Going to talk a lot about the Bucks naturally. You're free to join. Send me a text. 608-796-2558. You can give me a call. I will uh, open up the phones if you want to talk to me over the phone in about 20 minutes, we'll get the show underway and then we'll start taking calls. Should be a lot of good things, positive things to say about the Bucks today, right? You can also tweet me at Wisco Grant. Did I give you the phone number? 608-796-2558. Text me, call me in a little bit. You can tweet me and follow me at Wisco Grant. I want to accomplish two things today, talking about the Bucks. I want to talk about this game, big picture, how the Bucks came to win it, what the important stats were, what was predictive, what have we learned now looking forward to games five and six and potentially a game seven is now the series has become a best two of three. Two of those games going to be played in Phoenix. Like big picture, what did we learn? What did this game show us? Right, because another chapter in this finals has been written. We have all this new data. We have all of these new plays and new things to talk about. So I want to do that. And I also want to celebrate individual performances and performers. Thing is, it's really hard to do that at once. At the same time, like it's hard to say, hey, the Bucks won because of this reason. Also, God, Chris Middleton was brilliant. He did all these things. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to alternate back and forth. Like one segment is going to be more big picture than the next segment. We're going to focus in on a certain player. 
And there'll be a little overlap, too. Because if you're talking about a game big picture, you can't talk about this game big picture unless you talk about Devin Booker scoring 42 or Chris Middleton going for 40 or Giannis dominating, not with the high point totals we saw in games two and three, but still 26 points, 14 rebounds, eight assists. He easily could have had a triple-double last night if just some of their shots were falling, but God has decided that that's just not a reality for the Bucks in the postseason. Three steals, two blocks as well. Naturally, there's going to be some overlap talking about big picture things and also individual performers. But I think segment by segment, we're going to do keys to the game. And then we're going to say, hey, Chris Middleton is great. Here's why he was great. Because it's really hard to do both at the same time. Kabish, does that make sense? So that's kind of my game plan. I think that's, that's kind of our approach today. That's our strategy. We were hoping for a classic last night. Because the first two games were excellent. They were entertaining. I think it was a great chess match between two coaches and two teams that haven't been in the finals in a long time, one of which has never won a title, one that's been since the mid-70s. Games one through three, they were great, but the margins were big, right? 13 points, 10 points, 20 points. The Bucks won by in, in game three. We wanted a grinder. We wanted a battle. We wanted a war. And I wrote down yesterday, I was like, okay, I, I see this game going one of a few different ways. I think the most likely scenario this game was a close Bucks win, then a close Suns win, then a Suns blowout, then a Bucks blowout. I did not think the Bucks were going to run away with this game last night. Now, the Suns maybe, because the Suns have shown they don't really have a weak link. They can turn it on, and when they get going, they're really hard to slow down. I didn't think the Bucks were going to run away with this. I didn't think the Suns were going to run away with it either, but I thought it was more likely that if there was a blowout, the Suns would be victorious. I thought the most likely outcome was a close Bucks win. And that's what we got. Some crunch time basketball, right? Some, some edge of your seat basketball. Nothing shows the true colors of a team or the players on said team like crunch time. All right, it's tie game, two minutes left. What are you actually made of? What can you do and what can't you do? Because the curtains are pulled back. The training wheels are taken off. Crunch time, two minutes. Let's see. Because if you have a weakness, it'll be made obvious, right? If you have limitations, we will see. Those final two minutes, crunch time basketball, that's when we really, really put these players and teams under the microscope. We got that last night. Yes. And if I had to pick an adjective to sum up this game, the final score, 109-103, it's going to sound like a negative. It's not. It was a messy game. It was a weird game. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I think that's how I would describe this game if somebody asked me. The best summary I saw of this game was a tweet from Mitch Ross who is a radio producer in Milwaukee. And this tweet only got one like. I'm like, well, that's a bummer because I think this is a really smart depiction of this game. He tweeted, wow, that was a combination of game one against Miami and game three against Brooklyn. Very true. Game one against Miami, neither team shot well. Miami shot 36%. Buck shot 43 from the field, but 16 from three. Kept it close. Middleton made it happen at the end. Very similar to last night. Chris Middleton had some timely clutch buckets. We'll talk more about that in a bit. That's game one against Miami. Game three against Brooklyn. Low scoring, ugly by both teams. The Bucs shot 37% from the field and 19 from three. <laughs> like last night, Drew Holiday was also horrendous, but the Bucs were able to come out on top. Last night's game was some amalgamation of game one against Miami and game three against Brooklyn. And last night was another example of the Bucs winning ugly, which they have done throughout the postseason. And I think when they win ugly analysts and fans and reporters like, oh, this team is so stupid. They're a dumb team. They don't know how to win. No, winning ugly isn't a bad thing. Tom Brady scored 13 points in a Super Bowl, and we acted like it was like he was Jesus Christ himself. Like, winning ugly isn't a bad thing. 
it shows true colors of a team and maybe exposes some of the shortcomings of a team. But winning ugly is still winning. This is this is the finals. A win is a win. If there was ever a time for a win to just be a win, it's in the NBA finals. The Bucks didn't play well offensively last night. I swear they only had like five quality shots in the first half. They're bad. No good looks. First half, Bucks didn't get quality looks. They were they were getting Loose balls, they were picking up off the ground and getting layups and then a couple of transition buckets and just nothing was smooth. The offense wasn't clicking. In this game, the Suns shot 51% from the field. The Bucks shot 40% from the field. Last night was the first time in NBA Finals history that a team shot greater than 50% and lost to a team that shot less than 40%. Also noteworthy is that Devin Booker, like I said, had 42. and Drew Holiday was terrible. He shot 4 of 20 from the field. Nice. By every metric and number, this should have been a blowout for the Suns. Suns should have won this game, as you might argue that the Bucks should have won game two. Right? Now, should have, would have, could have. These games are done, and they're in the books, and, and we've moved on. The Suns should have won last night. Every number would indicate that. Every personal performance, individual performance would indicate that, too. So, why did the Bucks win? Like, Chris was great, but we've seen that. He was great in game one. Didn't lead the Bucks to a victory, though. Giannis was good, but Giannis is at least good in most games. It's not always enough. And Drew was terrible. That combination of variables with the Bucks' big three, that, that's not enough to beat this team, albeit at home in the NBA Finals. There's a deeper story to this. The Bucks won last night on the margins, the same way they won in game three. They won on the margins, finding these little advantages in offensive rebounding and turnovers and transition points and free throws. Refereeing, there was a lot to do about it in the second half. I'm glad that the game finished the way that it did, so today we're not talking about the officials because if Devin Booker hits a game winner, it's all we're talking about today. That's a huge bummer. I would not have enjoyed that. The refereeing, I think, by the end, balanced out. It was a little messy. All in all, the Bucks took 10 more free throws than the Suns did. And it's not just that they took more free throws. The Bucks shot really, really well from the free throw line, which is more Phoenix's thing. The Bucks aren't really a good free throw shooting team outside of Middleton and maybe Lopez. Their average to below average, they shot 82% from the line last night. That's pretty darn good, 24-29. They took 10 more free throws than the Suns. That's a margin to be exploited. Transition points, 15 to nothing. It's a lot easier for Milwaukee to score and defend when they're running around in transition. And it creates more work for Phoenix, right? You force Phoenix to have to defend you in transition. You don't let them set up their half-court offense and defense, right? It's, it's creating more work for Phoenix. That was what we said after game one. You just need to make it harder for Phoenix. The Bucs have done that every game. They've cranked it up, cranked up the difficulty every game. Offensive rebounding, another margin. The Bucs won that column 17 to 5. That's 12 extra shots in what turned out to essentially be a four-point game before the free throw started and before garbage time kicked in. 12 extra shots, 17 to 5. Turnovers. The Bucs won that margin too. The Suns had 17. The Bucs had five. Chris Paul had five by himself. This is by far the Bucs' best turnover game of the series so far. They had 9, 9, 14, and now all the way down to 5. A really clean game, although it didn't look that way at times. Really, really weird. Like Drew Holiday last night, if you would have guessed how many turnovers that he had, you'd think a bunch because it didn't always look pretty. He only had one. No Bucks player had more than one. P.J. Tucker had none, and then Giannis, Middleton, Lopez, Holiday, Connaughton all had one. That was it. Pretty clean. Pretty easy game. Winning on the margins, right? We're talking about free throws, transition points, offensive rebounds, turnovers. I just want to, for a moment, focus on offensive rebounds and turnovers. Because in a close game, and I said this is about a de facto four-point game before garbage time kicked in, 
You need to consider every little detail in a crunch time close game like this. A, a, a de facto elimination game, because if the Suns win, they're up 3-1, and they have two of the next three at home. The Bucks aren't coming back. It's a must-win game, and you need to consider every little detail, like a math problem. Between the 12 offensive rebounds the Bucks pulled down, the 12 extra, so, so they won the offensive rebound in column 17-5, to so they're plus 12 in offensive rebounds, and the Suns had 17 turnovers. That's 29 extra shot opportunities for the Bucks. That's a huge margin. And I crunched the numbers in kind of an unprofessional, kind of fun way. Get a load of these analytics. These are grant analytics, grant, grant metrics. Okay, 29 extra shot opportunities. The Bucks took 97 shots last night. 29 of them were threes. That's about 29.89%, let's say 30%. So 30% of their shot attempts were three-pointers last night. Out of those 29 extra chances that they had, 30% of 29 is 8.7, so let's call it 9 so 29 extra chances breaks down to nine three-pointers and 20 field goals somewhere on the floor. Remembering the Bucks shot 40% from the field and 24% from three, that cracks out to about eight field goal makes, 16 points, and two three-point makes, six points. So if you add that up, that's 22 extra points that were manufactured through offensive rebounding and through taking advantage of turnovers. 22 extra points in what shaped up to be essentially a four-point game. That's how you win when you shoot like crap. And when Drew Holiday plays poorly. And when Giannis is still great, but not as great as he was. That's how you win a game. You create extra opportunities and you capitalize. And they did. That's a huge margin for such a close game. Now, this series has become a best of three. Headed back to Phoenix on Saturday for game five. Let's consider what this game tells us moving forward. If there's any predictive value to this whatsoever. And I'm not necessarily talking about betting or gambling, I'm talking about predictive as it pertains to the Bucks' momentum and their chances to actually win the series. Because I, I like to bet, but I don't, I, I don't really care about that in this moment. The Bucks are and have been thriving in the margins. And these margins are, for the most part, variant statistics. Free throws, offensive rebounds, turnovers, transition points. They're pretty strongly based on luck. Now, you can create your own luck a little bit, and the Bucks have done that, like Pat Connaughton, P.J. Tucker, combined for six offensive rebounds last night. That's a big advantage. Drew was awesome, and he applied the pressure to Chris Paul to force a couple of those turnovers, of which Chris Paul had five. And credit to the Bucks, they shot really well from the free throw line. They made their attempts. Sure, they had 10 more attempts than the Suns, but they made them too. So to say that the Bucks got lucky, okay, maybe a little bit, but they created their own luck, and they took advantage of that luck. And Monty Williams even said it at halftime, if you saw that look into the locker room, the Bucks are outworking us. That's what he said. They're outworking us. They're earning these little advantages here and there. The Bucs may have been outworking the Suns, but they were shooting like dump. They're always shooting like dump in the postseason. They never shoot well. I think it's kind of tough to expect these numbers to hold up. I don't know if you can expect a big advantage in the free throw margin like this, especially with two of the next three in Phoenix. I don't know if you can expect Chris Paul to keep turning the ball over, although I'm not sold on that as a certainty, and that's something we'll talk about at 530. I want to do the... Chris Paul conversation, because last night, very out of character for him. I don't know if you can continue to rely on offensive rebounds, although we've seen it in back-to-back -back games, one of which DeAndre Ayton was in foul trouble. Last night, not at all, and they were still able to pull down offensive boards. So maybe that's becoming more of a given and less of a variant statistic. Turnovers, I'm not sure. Transition points, I'm not sure. Free throws, we'll see. That's that's related to the refs, although the Bucks take it to the cup. A lot more than the Suns do. So they're going to take a good amount of free throws. And Giannis is a player that just attracts contact. I don't know if you can expect these marginal advantages that the Bucs have taken advantage of the last two games 
I don't know if you can expect them to continue, but here's the thing. You only need to win two more games. I found myself watching the Bucks the last couple of nights thinking, okay, this is great, but that's not going to work in the next round. Oh, oh, yeah, this is, the, this is the last round, right? Like, I'm watching Giannis drive and crash and then kick the ball out. I'm like, oh, that's, that's hardly quality offense. That's not going to work against the next opponent. Oh, yeah, this is the last opponent. So maybe, just maybe, for the first time in, like, the last decade of Wisconsin sports, the Bucks get lucky, and they do continue to enjoy some of these advantages. Maybe, maybe not. It's up to them to continue to make their own luck as much as possible. And I don't know, maybe shoot well. Just once. Just to humor us, Bucks fans, please. Maybe. <laughs> 608-796-2558. I want to talk about the biggest play of the night. The best player last night was Chris Middleton, but the best play, the best moment was Giannis's block. And I want to talk about that coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills. On the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, my name Grant Bills. Twitter, Wisco Grant, the talk and text line 608 796 2558. I hope you're enjoying this. Gorgeous, gorgeous day, and enjoying the NBA Finals now tied 2-2. Yes. Yes. Last night was a must-win game. Was that a missed opportunity by us yesterday? We're a must-win show. Love declaring a good must-win. Although, I prefer the challenge of declaring like a regular season baseball game a must-win. Yeah, they can't go down 3-1. Of course it's a must-win. That's no fun. I feel like we kind of dropped the ball on that yesterday, but... We don't go for the low-hanging fruit on the show. It's just not the type of show that this is. If you want to tweet me, like I said, you can at Wisco Grant. Uh, I got a tweet from, make sure I get the name right. Well, actually, your handle is a little confusing. It's it's an M and a last name. Maybe your name is Mike or Mark or Mary. Uh, it says, say the number to the, the, say the number slower so we can interact. And I tweeted the number back at you, so you got it. But the number always, 608 Seven nine six two five five eight. Schmidt on the north side said, I waited an extra minute today just checking in to say that I was right. Anyone that still has any Middleton slander is thick in the head. Carry on. Middleton was fantastic last night, and I want to talk a lot about Chris Middleton before the show is over, but I actually want to start with the Giannis block. Chris, I think, had the best game. Well, I know he had the best game. He was brilliant, and he won them the game in the fourth quarter. But Giannis had the best moment last night. And we're to the point now with Giannis where I feel like I have a personal connection with him, very similarly to how I felt about Rodgers for the last 10 years. We'll see if that, uh, we'll see if that continues or not. See if the, the Shailene Woodley era of Aaron Rodgers, if maybe I start to feel a little bit differently. I want to see the Bucks win. I want to see the Packers win. But just as much, I want to see Giannis win. And with the Packers, I want to see Rodgers win. And I get all defensive and upset when some talking head comes after Giannis. Like, I don't know, stupid Kendrick Perkins. He's like, he's not Batman. He's Robin. Good, Kendrick. Good take. Any other superhero comps that you have? Who's Aquaman? Did the Bucks have an Aquaman? Shut up. Stop with the Batman Robin stuff. It's so annoying. I get all defensive when Giannis gets ripped because I feel like I have a personal connection to him as much as I have a personal connection to my team, the Bucks. And last night was setting up for something amazing or something really, really disappointing. Because over the last couple of days, since Sunday, which is when the Bucks last played, Giannis has back-to-back 40-point games. He has arrived on the stage in the NBA Finals. And he's getting compared to LeBron and Shaq. 
he's physically dominating the NBA Finals in a way that we've probably only seen four guys in the history of the league do. Maybe LeBron, Wilt, Kareem, Shaq. Players that were just bigger and stronger and then just like, screw you. I'm going to run you over. I'm going to go around you. There's nothing you can do. Giannis is inching into that group. And the last couple days, there's been so much hype. There's been so much praise where he was either going to go for 40 again and the party is really on, or he throws up like a disappointing 22-point performance and everybody kills him, despite the hype in the first place being the fault of the media that would then turn around and kill him for not living up to the hype that was created by themselves. You see the circle here. So last night was a turning point for Giannis. First quarter, he looked tired. He looked disconnected. He almost looked disinterested. I didn't get it. And he said after the game, he's like, well, I had to take a pee. I don't know about that because he just looked slow. He looked lethargic. And I'll never accuse a player of being disinterested or not wanting to win because that's a mental thing in their head. I, I can't speak to that. He had four points in the first quarter on a transition layup and a dunk. Eh. Eight points in the second quarter, but there's no pop. At no point am I watching Giannis thinking, okay, there he, there he goes. Now he understands the moment. He understands what's going on. He has to be aggressive. Now, second half, he has 14 points. Still really no pop. He's finding these buckets here and there, kind of like Zion, where you know, getting offensive rebounds, putbacks, transition, loose balls, broken plays, that kind of thing. Not a lot of scripted offense is going well for Giannis. Here and there, sure, but I'm not, I'm not being blown away. And then the final two minutes rolls around, and the block. The block happens. It's the best thing that could have happened for Giannis in this game. Giannis's final stat line was 26, 14, and 8, which is fantastic, especially considering he only had one turnover, three steals, and two blocks. But that ain't 40. And if the Bucs would have lost last night, everybody would have loved Devin Booker and hated Giannis. Like, Giannis didn't meet the moment, although he was fantastic last night. The volume wasn't there, but the quality of play was outstanding. It was great. But then he had that block which allowed the sports media sphere to grab onto something. Like, hey, that defined the game. That was the play of the game. That's what we want to talk about today, not the fact that Giannis scored 14 points fewer than he has the last two games. He didn't hit 40 again. Oh, my God. Sue him. That's the focal point. That's the moment from this game. Giannis talked about it in this post-game press conference, naturally. I thought I'm going to get dunked on, to be honest with you. But going down the stretch, just do whatever you know it takes to win the game. You just put yourself in a position that can win the game. And you know, I saw the play coming. So that uh, Chris Chris Paul was throwing the lob. So I'm like, I just I'm just going to jump vertical, you know, towards the rim. Hopefully, I can you know be there in time. And uh, I was there in time, and was able to get a good a block. I think that first comment of the whole answer is the most important one. He's like, I thought I was going to get dunked on. I thought I'm going to get dunked on. I thought I'm going to get dunked on. I think that's significant because that's the type of player Giannis is. I, I've mentioned this in the last week. Like, I, I don't think a lot bothers him. I don't think he gets embarrassed. I don't think he feels the pressure of sports media and social media because he grew up in a way that doesn't really assign any of that meaning. He doesn't interpret that crap the same way we do. If Bleach Report was to tweet a video of me doing something stupid, I'd be like, oh, my God, that's embarrassing. Giannis is like, I don't even care about Bleacher Report. He didn't grow up here connected to his phone, understanding and communicating the value of social media and the weight that it carries. He assigns that in a weight he doesn't care. He went up to block that thinking he was going to get yammed on. And I get it's the NBA Finals. That's a risk you got to take. I'm not saying that other NBA players would have made a business decision, but I guess I'm also not not saying it. He went up there knowing dang well that he might get dunked on, and he did it anyways. And I think that's a trait of Giannis that's really advantageous, and that manifested last night. Like, that's that's the example of how Giannis is different. He thinks he's going to get dunked on. He tries to get the block anyways because, honestly, he doesn't really care. Also, 
If anyone ever argues Giannis should be defending the other team's best player, why isn't he defending Devin Booker? That's why. Right there. That's why. Why isn't he defending Jimmy Butler? Right there. That's why. Why isn't he defending Kevin Durant? That block. Right there. Because he's the best help defender in the league. Maybe other than Rudy Gobert, but like, screw Rudy Gobert. Like, I'm sick of watching the Jazz lose in the second round. Giannis can step out and guard on the perimeter. Rudy Gobert can't. Rudy Gobert might be a better help defender. I think Giannis is a more versatile defender, and his value is in his versatility. Versatility that's taken away if you stick him one-on-one on the perimeter because then he can't help. Then he can't defend the rim, especially with Brook Lopez out of the game. And that play illustrated exactly why Giannis, although he's the defensive player of the year, doesn't isolate very often one-on-one on an opposing team's best player because it takes away what he does best. That play is evidence. You can use that in any court of law and sports debate at any bar when somebody's like, why doesn't he guard Kevin Durant? That's why, idiot. Watch the game. I saved this audio just because I think it's really funny. Skip Bayless's thoughts on the dunk is awesome. Here we go again. I was going to give this a three on a scale of one to ten, <laughs> but I'm going to go up to four just because it was, as you point out, so timely. You can say it was a clutch block. Mm -hmm. But just on pure execution, the way the play unfolded, it was a completely predictable and overrated block. It it was so obvious it was going to happen that it was just one big duh. And it is being completely overrated. Skip Bayless is awesome. I love him. I, that's you have to be very creative. Like that, of course he's gonna block it. He wasn't even defending Aiton when the play started. He was up on Booker. The ball goes up. Giannis turns, watching the ball, adjusts, starts defending someone brand new. Goes up and meets him at the summit. Uh, DeAndre Aiton, by the way, what does he weigh? Like two fifty, seven feet tall. I actually, I'm guessing on the weight. Maybe that's way off. I'm not good at judging people's weight. So, ladies, get with me. Don't worry. I'm gonna I have no clue how much you weigh. I just don't have an eye for such things. An overrated block, I guess I don't even know what that means because that block is probably one of three or one of four NBA Finals blocks in the last 30 years. You can go back to the 94 Finals when Hakeem just swatted John Starks at the buzzer to force a Game 7 where the Rockets eventually won. That was a game that extended a series, a block that extended a series. Right? It didn't just win them a game. It, it eventually won them finals, opened the door for them to win a final. So you could talk about Hakeem's block in 94. You could talk about LeBron's block in 2016 when he pins Iguodala. It was like a minute 50 left. That was a tie game at the time. I think another great finals block that nobody's talking about, honorable mention, is when LeBron met Tiago Splitter at the summit in 2013. Not nearly as pivotal, but so physically dominant and just took the soul of Tiago Splitter that I'll never forget it, and it's awesome. I think Giannis's block is a combination of all three of those dunks. Pivotal, clutch moment, but I think more physically impressive than LeBron's chase down, which is why I got to bring LeBron's swat on Tiago Splitter. No hate on the chase down block. That was more a finesse body control thing. Giannis just, it was bigger, stronger, taller, faster, jumped higher, and was strong enough to swap that ball out of the air. That was a heck of a play. Overrated dunk. I don't even know what such a thing would mean, but that's why I love Skip Bayless. Let's take a break. I want to talk, go back big picture. And talk about a couple of things I learned about the Bucs last night. And why this Bucks team maybe is different than playoff Bucks teams of the past. We'll do that next. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
ratings are out for game four. You want to talk about the ratings, anybody? Don't ask me about ratings. Then you'll then you'll hear me angry. Nothing worse than than ratings obsessed people. Gary Wolfel, by the way, Bucks legend reporter, tweeting out ratings last night after the Bucks won. Like, what a douche! I can't. He's probably still whining about how the Bucks did Jabari Parker dirty. John Urand, Sports Business Journal, tweeted out Bucks Suns game four. 10.254 million viewers. The TV numbers are getting better, but still down 21% from 2019. Game four still beat last year's game four in the bubble, so eat it, LeBron. Also, I don't, I don't care. I, don't, I just remembered I don't care at all. Zero percent. That game was awesome. This series has been awesome. And if you disagree, then I just, I don't know what to tell you. You don't like good basketball. Oh, LeBron's not there. Uh, Well, newsflash, there will be basketball games long after LeBron retires. Uh, so if you're a LeBron fan, well, guess what? Go watch Space Jam this summer. Go enjoy Space Jam. That's that's for you. 608-796-2558. A couple of texts to get to. I'm sorry, I'm behind. Hold on. We got to Schmidt on the north side. Okay, Binks. Uh, the block was the momentum changer. No turds for the Bucks last night. Hey, I mean, Drew Holiday was kind of a turd, but he did a lot of positives as well. Um, and that's something we'll talk about as the show goes along. Jordan says, you sounded great on the Bill Michaels show today. I loved the just Ebo comment. Yeah, uh, that was a bummer. I did not mean to diss Evo, and I know he didn't take it that way. We we're just having fun. But when he asked me to come on the Bill Michaels show, I was like, oh, Bill. Bill wants me as a guest. Wise man. And then I realized Bill was on vacation, and it was just Evo, although I didn't mean it in that way. I, I mean, I get to talk to Evo. I was thrilled. Aaron in Janesville. Ooh, this is a, oh, this is a good question, Aaron. Oh, ho, ho, ho. we're going to talk about this. Really in an hour. We're going to dig deep, 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 deep into this. So, Aaron, if, if you're not going to be listening in an hour, don't worry. It'll be in the podcast, so I will address this directly. He asked, do you think there was a shift in the narrative after last night's win with the block, quiet and stoic Middleton being awesome and not barking at the refs? The Bucks are winning the nation's love, whilst Booker becoming a villain, getting eight fouls, spending more time talking to refs than he does to Kylie Jenner, CP3 falling apart. I feel like Booker is going to fall into the hardened hate club with the incessant barking and flopping despite the talent. What an awesome win, opposite of everything we come to expect as a Wisconsin sports fan. Take care, boss. Aaron in Janesville, you take care as well. Yes, I think the narrative is shifting. The thing is, it can shift in one game. So the Bucks have all the momentum. They had the momentum coming into this game, and they were able to hold on to it, fend off the Suns for a game. So the momentum is still with them. But if the Suns win this weekend, they, they get it right back, right? It's so quick back and forth. Uh, this is from a new texter, and I don't have your name. So if you want to text back, so I can get uh, referred to you by your name or a nickname. He says, Giannis keeps being compared to Shaq, but he does way more in my opinion. Shaq wasn't bringing the ball up the floor, initiating fast break offense. I think it makes it easier for him to get lost in the game in a way and forgets what he's really great at. I agree with you. He does do more than Shaq, but that's not an anti-Shaq thing. That's just a different era, right? If Shaq came up through the college ranks today, he, he would work on different things. He would practice different things. I don't think a Shaq type player could exist in today's NBA. You're just expected to do other things. So that's not an anti-Shaq. That's not a pro Giannis. That's just a 20-year difference, um, but a very astute observation. Let's go to the phone, 608-796-2558. I'm sorry I don't have the caller ID working, but who am I talking to? Welcome. The man, the myth, and I was so glad to see you dish Evo today. Uh, somebody needs to put that boy Somebody needs to put that boy in his place, you know? I was, Evo's getting too big. He's getting too big of britches, my friend. I mean, that was good. I see, oh, oh, it's only you, Evo? Oh, darn it. <laughs> Well, you called in right before I talked, and I was so glad to hear that you called Evo's show because I, I thought you were mad at me. 
for not taking your call that one time. And I'm just glad to hear that you're okay and and you're calling in and still bringing your takes uh, no, to the I, table. I have been I have I have been around sports radio before you and long after. I've been around since 1995, the first talk show in the state of Wisconsin. I've made people's life miserable for 25 <laughs> years. You had a and, and, and you, you, yeah. Go ahead. You're dude. just another pimple. Hey, you're just another pimple on my ass that I'll that I'll pop. Like the guy Schmitz talking about Middleton, who's a, who's a clown on the road. Uh, you know, I want to, to tell Schmitz, hey, I mean, even my mom's watching basketball, guys. I mean, that's how exciting it is and how it's attractive to new people. She hates basketball, and she calls me and says, how come they can't double-team that one, that one, she calls them names, that one blank, and, let, and lets them score all the time. Yeah. <laughs> 83 years old, and she's saying, why can't they put two guys on him? <laughs> She's got oh, it figured out. But... She's got it figured out. Dave, you had a really negative take about uh, Giannis's block on with Ebo yeah. on the Bill Michaels show. Yeah, because wanna... people. Yeah, because it's like, I can't even say to all your to all your minions and the clowns. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? It's game four. The block means block means nothing. It's not a momentum shift. The guy in Janesville, they won both games at home. The only way they're going to win, and trust me, I want them to win. Mm-hmm. Is if Middleton and Holiday, both of them, somebody has, there's got to be a third person Saturday night. If there's not, they're not going to win game five or seven. Giannis is going to do his thing in either or. God, it's just so frustrating to see Holiday think how he plays defense. I mean, but you got to admit that the third quarter, Mike Budenhauser, how, how do you let somebody just stand there one-on-one basketball for the whole court? Five seconds, four or three, drive the you know, drive the lane for a basket, you know. So no, yeah, the, the take is guys, who cares? We're all getting an orgasm over a block. I want Giannis to do it as well. The guy, the guy is genuinely a nice guy. Yeah. Like I said before, he needs to work on his game instead of you know, instead of making babies, make you know, make baskets in the offseason. Oh, you were but, you were my absolute favorite. You know that. I, I need, oh, I know, we but, need but, this but, mentality. We need oh. this. We're on to the next game. On to the next one. Yep. Yep, next game, Saturday night. I mean, and I said, my mom, she'll be watching it against you. She actually wants me to come over. I said, Mom, you don't want me coming over. I swear too much. <laughs> I, go, you, I go, you want to watch the game? You know, watch the game yourself. But, yeah, oh, it's going to be intense. Remember now, you know, Feast is going to come out, and they got to stop Crowder, and they got to stop Johnson. Mm-hmm. If they don't stop either one of those, I mean, the game's going to come down to about a 10-point game in the fourth quarter, and who's going to show up for Milwaukee basketball? I'd say the most frustrating part is, it's like, I listened to the ESPN, it was a JV and that Lady Doris, all they talk yep. about is 90 points in the paint. And what do the Bucks do? They come down and they, and they go brain stupid. Two for 17, two for 20. They can't stop the Bucks in the paint. I don't know why they continue. But anyway, it was, it was a great win. And it was nice to see you put Ebo in his place because he's getting too big for his britches. Well, I'm glad. You need to put him in his place, too. Thanks for that, David. Thanks for the call. What is it with? What, what is going on? Do we have no manners? We live in a society. I was like, hey, I'm going to say goodbye to Dave. They'll be like, yeah, you have a good one. No, I always hangs up the phone. Uh, two things. You talk about the Bucks going into the paint. It was loud and clear last night. When the Bucks went into the paint, they were way more successful. And I have it written down somewhere. And if you can't tell, I am stalling because I can't find it. The hell with it. Here it is. First quarter. They shot 10 threes, 2 of 10. Blech. Bad. Five of nine in the paint for 10 points. Not enough. More volume. Second quarter, they scored 12 more points than in the first quarter. They shot four fewer threes, and they had four more attempts in the paint. Nine of 12 in the paint for 18 points. The offense just flows better when they're going to the rack. I agree with you, Dave. Uh, some Somebody that does not agree with you, Dave, is Schmidt on the north side. 
Schmidt, Schmidt has texted in to say, tell David Monona I'll come down there and, squ- and square up. Dave versus Schmidt? All right. Couple of hours difference, but a short cruise. Yeah, Dave versus Schmidt on the north side. Let's throw some hands. I agree. A little collar beef like we're on the Jim Rome show here. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to slander Chris Middleton today, Dave, but you are... I wouldn't call you the Skip Bayless. I'd say you're you're the realist. You're the everybody calm down guy. I last night I I feel like it became very clear that the playoffs are a different animal last night. And I I think your slander of Chris Middleton not showing up on the road, not showing up in other games. I, I think that's a byproduct of the way that we watch these playoff games and the way that the playoffs are different. And we like we hear this cliche all the time, right? Oh, the playoffs are a completely different animal. And Everybody always says it, and I've kind of paid it no mind. It's like, well, yeah, but it's still the same game of basketball. Five players, both teams. Hoops are still the same height. Like that scene from Hoosiers gets the tape measure out. Last night was a little bit educational for me because I think I'm finally starting to understand these examples of how the playoffs are different. And I've realized that in the playoffs, you can be garbage for like 90% of the game, 85% of the game, 87% of the game. You can be terrible. And you can still, when it's all said and done, have a great game. So like, Take a, take a couple of players out of the equation. Let's forget about LeBron, Katie, Giannis, healthy Kawhi, Luka, Steph. Those are guys that can take over an entire game. 48 minutes. You could probably argue Embiid, Dame, maybe Jokic. His play style is a little bit different. It's a short list either way. 48-minute guys. Once you get into that next tier of players, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Devin Booker, and Jason Tatum, and Chris Middleton, Bradley Beal, Kyrie, these are guys that can win you a quarter, or a half. They can win you a moment. They can take over for stretches. And in the playoffs, that can be enough. And Dave, I, look, I know Chris Middleton had bad moments last night, and he'll probably have another bad game before the series is over, but that's the thing. If you play bad for 80% of the game, and you have 20% where you catch fire, or you have a great moment that helps to find things, that can be enough. Game six in Atlanta. If you take the third quarter out of the equation, Middleton had nine points. And with no Giannis playing, that that ain't going to cut it. That's not enough. But he had 23 points in the third quarter. He scored 16 straight. He won them a quarter, and that was good enough. And at the end of the game, we look back and think, wow, Chris Middleton was great. When, really, he was good for 12 minutes. But that's enough, right? Last night, Chris disappeared for stretches. He had some tough bounces, especially in the first half. He put a shot up, and it rolled in and out, or it rolled right off the rim, and you're like, oh, it's right there. Can't really fault Chris Middleton for that. And then there were stretches in the third and the fourth where nobody was getting him the ball. Drew was doing, I don't know what he was doing, dribbling into the paint slowly, and Pat Connaughton dribbling it off his toe and making bad passes a couple of times, although Pat was good. That's not Pat slander. But the ball stuck in ways that didn't let it get to Chris Middleton, who needed the ball in his hands in in crunch time. But then when he finally got the ball, he had 14 points in the fourth quarter, and the shots he hit were timely. He tied it 99-99 with 2.07 to go. He hit the go-ahead jumper 101-99 with a buck 28 to go, and then he took the layup that put him up four with 27 seconds to go, which essentially iced the game. Should have been an and one, but Chris Middleton doesn't get and ones, and we don't call fouls on Devin Booker. Chris Middleton in the clutch last night, the final two minutes and 15 seconds, just took care of business. He had 10 points. The Suns had four. He was three of five. The Suns were two of six. Shot 60% from the field. The Suns shot 33. He was 4 of 4 from the line. The Suns were 0 of 0. Chris Middleton took over when it mattered most. Was he great the whole game? No. Neither was Drew Holiday. In fact, Drew Holiday was pretty miserable, bad, terrible for most of the game. But got to give him credit. He found a way to positively impact the game. Defense, we always know. But that's not enough in and of itself. You got to give me something else. 
Well, at least he brought rebounding last night. He pulled out a defensive rebound when the score was tied 99-99. He had an offensive rebound when the Bucks were up 101-99. And then he had the steal on Chris Paul and the assist to Chris Middleton to put the Bucks up 103-99 with 27 seconds left. That essentially iced the game. Drew Holiday was terrible for like 98% of the game. And when I say terrible, I mean really, really, really bad. But when the game was done, I'm like, you know what? He made a couple of plays when it mattered most that really, really helped win the game. And sometimes that's enough. When these games are close and the defense is ratcheted all the way up and the crowd is into it, it's really unfair to expect 48 minutes of perfection. If you can put together a quarter, put together a half, or for some of these players like Pat Connaughton, put together three minutes, that can be enough. Not the case in the regular season, but the postseason is a completely different animal altogether. I want to talk more about Chris Middleton. Bring Devin Booker into the fold, too, because he was tremendous. This is some interesting comparing and contrasting opportunities with Middleton and Booker. I want to do that next, and then we'll reset things at 5 o'clock. Wisco Sports Show back after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. David Monona is such a lightning rod. Talking text line just lights up. So Schmidt, after hearing David Monona slander Chris Middleton, says he will drive to Monona and throw hands. To which Dave responds, and I quote exactly, tell Schmidt, baby steps, baby steps, work your way up through the local circus and the farm animals, and then maybe you can approach me, the man behind the curtain. <laughs> what a... What is my job? I swear to God, some days. Duck and Holman says, I want to have a beer with Dave. I do as well. Mike and Monona off the top rope now says, lay off the sauce, Dave. So now we have two Monona texters to call her. Monona's not big enough for the two of you, by the sounds of it. Thanks for the text. Thanks for the calls. This has been a blast. We have an hour left. I don't mean to sound like we're wrapping up. We have a lot more bucks, details, things we got to get on before six o'clock. My name, Grant Bills. This is the Wisco Sports Show. Twitter, at Wisco Grant, if you'd like to reach out, follow me, bully me, block me. Eh, it's up to you. Twitter's, Twitter is, like America, free. I thought this was America. I thought this was Twitter. Schmidt on the north side, Texan, all caps, Team Schmidt. You can't start. We, we need, to be a team, you need more than one person, Schmidt. So we'll see if anybody else, anybody else joins your team. I'll keep track. We were just talking about Chris Middleton, who naturally people get stirred up. Booker was amazing last night. 42 points on no three-pointers, which is unheard of in 2021. And he got a little help from the refs at the end. They allowed him to stay in the game. And then at that point, the refs stopped helping him. It's like, hey, yo, we let you stay in the game, but we're done giving you calls. And then he had the audacity to keep complaining. It was very, very uh, unbecoming of him, in my opinion. Very large turnoff. I have some questions about Booker, some considerations. I just, I'm going to borderline play the small market victim guy here because the perception of Booker and Chris Middleton, I find very interesting. Middleton is an interesting player. I was listening to the Low Post pod today. Mike Malone was on, as was Brian Windhorst. And Windhorst, Windy, was talking about Booker's postseason so far. Pointed out three games. Scored 47 in LA in game six, 34 in Denver to close it out in game four, and 31 against the Clippers. And Brian Windhorst is like, oh, remarkable postseason he's putting together. And he certainly has a handful of really, really impressive games. But unlike Chris Middleton, what we tend to do with players is just ignore their really bad games, right? He had a 17-point game against the Lakers. 
where he went 5 of 14. Hardly ideal. He had a game in the Denver series where scored 18, scored 21. Not exactly spectacular. There's one game in the Clippers series especially that jumps out to me. He, in three straight games, goes 5 of 16, 5 of 21, 8 of 22, 9 of 22. Those aren't good games. 10 of 26 in game six, which was a win. So he's mixed in inefficient bad games as well, and everybody loves Anytime Chris Middleton has a good game, he had 40 last night, it was like, well, there's a 6 of 21 game incoming. As if that's not the case with the huge portion of star players in the NBA. There's a difference between a star and a superstar. A superstar, you know what you're getting every night. You're not waiting for the bottom to drop out, and you're not shocked when a player continues to score 30, 30, 30, 30, 30. That's just what they do. That's the difference between Jason Tatum and Giannis. That's the difference between Chris Middleton and Kevin Durant. That's the difference between Paul George and Kawhi, although Kawhi had some inconsistencies in this postseason too. I just want Chris Middleton to get the treatment where everyone conveniently ignores his bad games and uplifts his good ones. I would also like the same with Giannis. Giannis is the only superstar which the conversation begins with his weaknesses. I thought Nick Wright put this really well on Fox a couple of weeks ago when he was he was talking about this exact thing. It's like we don't, with Steph Curry, for example, we don't lead the, the Steph Curry conversation by like, okay, Steph is great, but he's no low post threat and he's not going to beat you above the rim. It's like, well, of course he's not, but he's so brilliant in everything else. We don't care. And with Giannis, I don't get it. You can drop 40 in back-to-back finals games, completely take over, and what are we talking about the next day? Well, we all know he doesn't have a great three-point jumper. Okay. Why do we have to lead with that? seems like he's one of the few players in the league where we're like, we're going out of our way to bring up the negatives rather than uplift the positives. We do with Booker, don't do it with Middleton. Right? We certainly don't do it with Giannis. It's very, very odd. Coming up next, I kind of want to reset the show, talk about last night's game in particular, break it down, the details. Why did the Bucks win? They didn't play particularly well other than Chris Middleton. We'll talk about that and talk about the series moving forward next. Wisco Sports Show, back after this. Wisco Sports Show, rolling on, 608-796-2558. Duck and Holman, who said, I want to have a beer with Dave, now also says, I want to have a spritzer with Dave and discuss Twilight. Dave doesn't strike me as a spritzer guy. I don't, I don't know. Do you think he's ever had a white claw? Seems like the kind of guy who would be very against such a thing. Drink beer like a man. Something like that. White Claws were created by my generation, and therefore, they're terrible. Steve says Holiday used all his energy on the defense, and that affected his offensive game. God, I hope. I either hope that or he was drunk because his offensive game was just terrible. Bad. Mike in Monona says really missing Dante the series, another playmaker shooter who could guard Booker, so we wouldn't have to rely so much on Tucker. You are right about that. Feels a lot like the Brooklyn series. Found their footing and should be favorites to win because their offense is becoming more sustainable. What a fantastic take, Mike and Monona. Thank you for that. I agree. I don't know if it's enough, but they're certainly getting better and better and better. I think if this is a nine-game series, 11-game series, oh, I'd bet the house on the Bucks. But they might run out of games before they can catch up to the Suns. We shall see, especially with two of these last three games in Phoenix. But that was the case with Brooklyn, too. Just need a little good luck, a little good play, and they could win a title. Thank you for the text, 608-796-2558, Twitter, at Wisco Grant. 
before Sunday's game, I thought maybe we'd see more bully ball. Sunday afternoon, I'm thinking, I know the world wants less Brooke Lopez, but damn, maybe we should have more. I always, I love thinking outside the box. Like, it's fun. That's what sports should be for. Politics and religion and real life. Like, hey, maybe we should stay in the box. Like, maybe we should stick to common sense. Like, like if we're going into space, no one's, no one's saying things like, well, maybe, maybe we should try to fly a helicopter up there instead. In sports, you'd be like, maybe more Brooke Lopez. Maybe it's worth a shot. Maybe. Just maybe. I thought the Bucks maybe go bigger, play bully ball. They didn't do that. And yesterday, Jeff calls in and says, we got to be bigger. We got to be stronger. Take the ball to the rack. I was like, yes, Jeff. Preach, brother. And we talked a little bit about playing in a style that maximizes the roster. Right? The Bucks are bigger. Phoenix has one big. The Bucks have three. They have Giannis, Portis, and Brooke Lopez. Middleton is 6'8". Booker is 6'5". Drew Holiday is 6'3". Chris Paul is six feet tall. The Bucks are bigger. Bigger, bigger, bigger. Bigger, stronger, faster, better, whatever the Daft Punk song is. I've defended Brooke Lopez more than anyone. It just wasn't working in drop coverage last night. He was always a step away. He was a step behind. Brooke was minus 13. For reference, Jeff Teague was minus three. So I, I think the picture is becoming clearer, right? The Bucks are going to play big while playing small. Does that make sense? Does that does that make sense? Play big while also playing small. So they need to play a smaller lineup, but they also need to play in a big way. Get to the rack, get to the paint. Let's go to the talking text line. Uh, I have Brett in lacrosse and Scott. Uh, let's start with Scott. Scott, how are you? Hey, um, fun game to watch last night. Not <laughs> with like pulling teeth. We got there. Um, it's really hard to watch with friends or people who aren't like hardcore into basketball because pretty much all you hear is yelling at the TV throw it to Giannis nobody can stop him not even Eaton can stop him but it's just like you know he's number one injured number two fatigued mm-hmm. and that's just not really the way it works so I I do understand how these other components yes there's other big men and you know they need to get the rock and do their thing as well because Giannis can't just get it every time the other thing I was going to say was uh, I have a comment on the Booker non-foul he ended up with I believe nine total fouls, but the one that was most <laughs> ridiculous was on that fast break through holiday. But um, one of the guys on ESPN, J.A. Adande, who's one of those original yeah. around the horn talking heads. OG. He had a tweet where it was like, well, the right call was made. I think they would have blown the whistle had the ball not gone in for two points. But the Bucks got their two points and the Sun star stayed in the game. And, mm. I, you know, my comment is just play it square. I think he might have been just trying to tee up for his around the horn topic later on, but you know, obviously, ESPN slash ABC, um, they want their ratings, and it would have been a pretty one-sided affair at that point because Chris Paul never showed up last night. Um, that fall was as as obvious as it gets. I couldn't believe they called it, and that's just sort of the logic of the TV programmers. But I didn't really appreciate that. I'm glad somebody said it because I think that's yeah. the real philosophy they had. But, boy, that was definitely a foul from all perspectives. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Scott, for the – well, first of all, there's a couple things to dig into. Uh, Devin Booker, I think he did end up with, like, nine fouls. Yes. He fouled him twice. He got him on the back, he got him on the waist, and then he got him on the arms again. So I And in the two-minute report, the ref was like, hey, I saw it wrong, I missed it. And I'm like, okay, okay, maybe. The take that the foul would have been called – 
had Giannis's shot not gone in? That's interesting because we do see this with refs all the time. You'll wait to see if the shot goes in or out before the foul is called. And I, I get why people hate that. It's like, we'll just call a foul if it's a foul. Yes, yes and no. I, I see both sides of it. That's a fascinating take by Adonde, though. That if Giannis doesn't get that put back, then they call it. It is kind of a win-win. Booker stays in the game, although it was so obvious. The NBA is in luck that the Bucks won last night. Because if the Suns win that game and Devin Booker plays a role and he didn't get ejected, I mean, the rigged takes are coming up. Adam Silver's under fire. It would have been bad. And I'm glad that that wasn't the case today. All right, Brett and Lacrosse, you're up next. Brett, nice to hear from you. Thanks for waiting. I, I hate putting anyone on hold, but I, I know you're a trooper. You'd be patient. Thank you. Oh, it's all good. No big deal. I just got all the time in the world to wait for you. <laughs> That's what I like no to hear. Deal. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, so besides Lopez, uh, not being good in drop coverage. You know who else isn't? Um, Kevin King. Yeah, I was going to say so Kevin King. You didn't give me any time. That's funny. Yes. Man, I tell you, that's the first thing I thought of when you said that. I'm like, huh, we got some sev- We got several people that aren't very good at that. <laughs> um, so I last night was, was intense. I don't think that I have stood in front of the TV pacing back and forth uh, as intently as I have, or as intently as I did last night, since the NFC Championship. Which one? The one they so, lost? Oh, that's wh- crazy. which one that they lost? One of the four previous oh, ones? Right. Yes, okay. This one, okay. this last one. Just checking. <laughs> it was stressful, it was, man, I agree. Was, I think yeah. I, at one point yep. I grabbed a hold of my buddy's hand. I was watching with two or three friends last night, and when Middleton's at the free throw line, not that I ever doubted him, but it's still stressful. Like it's nice to be with friends. You can kind of lean on each other. It was, it's stressful. Crunch time basketball takes it out of you, man. It it really is stressful. Yeah. It it was a little, a little intense for sure. And it was uh, a little too close for comfort until we started putting it away. But yeah, I mean, Booker was, uh, he was something, he was a little scary last night where I was just hoping, just go at him. Everybody go straight at him, get him out of the game. It's one less person to worry about. Plus, he's he was the only shooter last night. So, just nuts. So, we'll see what happens Saturday. But hopefully, we go up uh, 3-2, and um, then we'll finish it out at home. I, I hope the same thing, Brett. Thank you for the call, and enjoy the weekend if I don't talk to you tomorrow. Yeah, you too. Have a good one. Brett in lacrosse. Brett, you are such a son of a gun, as many of our callers are, because you mentioned you wanted the Bucks to go at Booker. Go at Booker. See if you can't get him out of the game. Go at Booker. Well, Brett, if that's not exactly what... I want to talk about coming up after this break because this is something we discussed with Seth Partnow of The Athletic yesterday, right? It's not necessarily that you attack a player to get them in foul trouble. You attack a player to attack a player. You attack Devin Booker because you want to make him defend, wear him out, and he's a little bit smaller. And if he ends up in foul trouble as a byproduct, well, how'd he do? That's a nice bonus. So I want to talk about that coming up next because I think last night's game had a lot of instances of good process leading to good results, right? Doing the right things, leading to good things. Does that make sense? Good process, good results, like Devin Booker being in foul trouble. One outstanding example, and Brett, you put it up on the tee for us. So let's kick it through the uprights. Coming up next, more of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show two straight hours of unadulterated uncensored bucks talk 
Series is now 2-2, which means it's a best of three. Two wins away from an NBA championship. This is, this is pretty darn cool, don't you think? <laughs> My name is Grant Bills. Twitter, at Wisco Grant. Talk and text line, 608-796-2558. Scott, David Monona, Brett in lacrosse. And the text line is filling up too. Mike and Monona, Steve and Duck and Dave and Schmidt on the north side. Everyone's such generic names. I got to spice this up. Otherwise, I keep getting people confused. If it's a busy day, I get texters confused because they're all uh, similar sounding names. Thank you for your contribution. 608-796-2558. Brewers will be back tomorrow at 610. So tomorrow, we're only going to have an hour and a half show, by the way. I'm hoping to get connected with our buddy, Justin Garcia. Bucks Radio Network, WTMJ. I'm hoping to talk to him at 4.30. So get your planner out, write it down. Leave yourself a voice memo, something. Tomorrow, 4.30, Justin Garcia. And then we can preview game four, which will be on Saturday. I want to talk more about last night. Naturally, Bucks winning 109-103 in the first close game of this series. And it was a joy, wasn't it? Of course, our team won, so it's easy to say. Something that Brett kind of mentioned and... Jeff mentioned when he called in yesterday, it was nice to hear from you, Jeff. It had been a while. The Bucks playing bigger and stronger and going to the rack, right? Last night, the Bucks won the offensive rebounding total. And they did in game three, too. In game three, the Bucks smashed Phoenix on the glass. They won the total 47 to 36. They won the offensive rebounding total 13 to 6. Aiton only played 24 minutes in that game, though. He's in foul trouble. He's on the bench a lot. He missed almost the entire third quarter. So we're like, okay, the Bucks beat the Suns up on the glass, but Aiton was out of the game. He played 24 minutes. He played 39 minutes in game one, 42 minutes in game two. So outlier, right? Well, last night, the Bucks still owned the boards. 48 to 40 and offensive rebounds 17 to five. And that was with DeAndre Aiton playing a full 39 minutes. That's about where he's going to be, about 40 minutes. I wouldn't have expected that. I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have supposed that there was some correlation to dominance comes to rebounding and that being connected to the amount of minutes DeAndre Ayton plays. But last night, the Bucks were able to get after it on the boards and it wasn't just Giannis. It wasn't just Brooke Lopez. In fact, he's one of their poorer rebounders, at least relative to his size. Pat Connaughton and P.J. Tucker were getting after it on the offensive glass. Pat's been really good. I will have no Pat Connaughton slander. He's been excellent. So after game three, when the Bucks offensive rebounded to such a good degree and DeAndre Ayton was in foul trouble. I think we all asked, it's like, well, can they get him in foul trouble again? Let's do more of that. That worked really well. And I was left wondering after game three, if it's actually a viable strategy in the NBA in 2021 to try to win by getting another player in foul trouble. College, a little bit different. The NBA, I'm not so sure. This is me posing that question to the athletic Seth part now yesterday. In the NBA with six fouls, is it a sustainable way to go about trying to win a series? Just we got to get eight in foul trouble. I feel like that's just something that's up to chance. Um, trying to get a guy in foul trouble, maybe not. I think that that's sort of a byproduct of going at someone you want to anyway. Okay. Um, you know, a, be- a better example might be, okay, we want to make Devin Booker guard. Um, if Devin Booker happens to pick up fouls while we're putting him in, act- in actions, that's a nice side benefit, but the real thing we're doing is making him use energy on defense. Okay. Um, and, you know, if, if Aiton is guarding Giannis, um, yes, putting fouls on Aiton would be nice, but having Giannis get shots at the rim, which is presumably what you're trying to do in that matchup, that's the real thing you're trying to do, uh, and the fouls are just kind of a benefit, of uh, a possible benefit of that. Okay, so 
you don't play specifically to try to get DeAndre Ayton in foul trouble. You play a certain style, and maybe that style lends itself to attacking DeAndre Ayton and forcing him to foul or defend or get the heck out of the way. Devin Booker is another good example. Brett and lacrosse in our last segment said, hey, the whole game, I'm just like, go a Booker, go a Booker. We want to get fouls on Booker. I get it, but you don't want to base your entire offense around one specific task. I think sometimes teams make this mistake when they become so obsessed with hunting mismatches that they look for mismatches to such a degree where it actually hurts the rest of their offense. They stop moving the ball and they stop running their actions because they're so obsessed with mismatches. I think it's probably a similar trap with foul trouble. An offense could become so focused on trying to hunt fouls for DeAndre Ayton in Game 3 or Devin Booker in Game 4 where it's actually a detriment. And I think Seth hit the nail on the head and, and weirdly predicted it. It's like, well, we're not trying to get fouls on Devin Booker. We're trying to make Booker defend, and if he ends up with fouls, cool. That's a nice byproduct. I think it started this discussion, and, and, and it got me thinking about positive byproducts stemming from good process. Good process, something we've talked about the last two weeks. Now, good defense doesn't mean you're always going to get stops, and good offense doesn't always mean shots are going to fall. You need to look at the process, not just the result. And often we get these positive results or these positive byproducts that stem from good process. Sometimes they're expected, sometimes they're unexpected. The inverse is also true. If you have poor process, you will get these unintended negative results too. The Suns felt some of this last night because Booker was so good in the second half especially. He was so hot and he was dominating the ball to such an extent that nobody else is really touching the ball. Last night he took 28 shots, scored 42 points, and Booker was playing hero ball and he was brilliant but there's an effect when one player dominates the ball like that. Other players get uninvolved. They're not connected. They're not a part of the offensive rhythm. The Suns only had six assists in the second half last night. Not much for DeAndre Ayton or Mikhail Bridges. They didn't do a whole lot because the ball wasn't really moving. It was staying in the hands of Devin Booker, right? And if Devin Booker's dominating the ball, it forces Drew Holiday to work hard or it forces P.J. Tucker to work hard, but nobody else. It doesn't force the Bucks defense to rotate. It doesn't force the Bucks defense to make extra decisions and, oh, do I help? Do we switch? Do we trap? What do we do? It also takes other players out of their rhythm. Chris Paul had five turnovers last night. I think that's probably related to Devin Booker dominating the ball for large stretches. Same with DeAndre Ayton in game three. He was on the bench the entire third quarter, comes in at the beginning of the fourth, and he's cold. He's dropping the ball everywhere, and he just he doesn't look sharp. right? I think Devin Booker dominating the ball like that had some negative effects that were maybe just enough of a difference that the Bucks were able to steal this despite being down nine points in the fourth quarter. Let's go to the phones. Brenda in Madison. Brenda, it's good to hear from you. What a great group of callers we've had today. <laughs> yeah, I had to complete the set, you know? Yes. Um, so last night was great. Um, the the non-calls for fouls were awful. Again, officiating through, you know, come on. they got to get some better officiating crews on these games. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's uh, luckily the Bucks winning – made my brewer withdrawal actually a little bit more easier to take. Thank God they're back in less than 24 hours. Thank God they're back in like 24 hours. So, <laughs> because, yeah, the brewer withdrawal is, is real. Yeah. I It's just nice having a game every day. I don't have to watch the whole thing every day. Maybe I don't watch it at all. Maybe we don't talk about it on the show, but it's, it's just nice to have there. Like tonight, I'm going to go home. I don't know it what is. I'm going to do after work tonight. I'm going to go home and sit in my living room by myself, try to figure out what to watch on my new TV that I just got. Not the Brewers. I can wait until tomorrow night to watch the Brewers. You do gotta wait till tomorrow night to watch the Brewers. So hopefully, hopefully it's a good series this weekend. 
Um, and the Bucks, uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to win on Saturday, but I hope so. Yeah. You got plans for the game? Are you throwing a big function? Are you going somewhere for the game? Or are you just kind of laying low? Uh, probably laying low. Um, Sunday, I got plans to go out and stuff because it's birthday anniversary weekend. So. Ooh, really? Congratulations and happy birthday. Unless it's somebody else. Uh, yep. You're talking about yourself, I'm assuming. No, 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 I, no. It's for me. No, me and my hubby. No, um, 49 and 24 this year. So next year is the big 5-0 and 25. So. Really? Well, enjoy your last yep. birthday before turning 50, Brenda. You don't sound a day over 27. You had me fooled. Well, sounds to be <laughs> deceiving. That's true. That's very true. Hey, enjoy the celebration this week, Brenda. Thanks for the call. Uh, yeah, you have a great weekend. You too. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, 49 is not even old. But, yeah, enjoy the celebration this weekend. That's that's lovely. I was at a wedding last weekend. I, I'm not a big romantic myself. I certainly enjoy celebrating other people's romance. I live vicariously through other people. So that's good to hear, Brenda. Enjoy your celebration this weekend, and I know you'll be glad to have the Brewers back, uh, as I will be as well. Hopefully they don't drag the plow out of the break. Hopefully that, that tough stretch going into the break doesn't extend. Although... Last couple of years has shown that it's typically a bumpy ride out of the break as well. Hopefully that's not the case. And if it is the case, at least we have the Bucks on Saturday night to kind of get us through and we have something else to, to focus on. Brewers are a team with good process. Sometimes the results are there. Sometimes it's not. The Bucks, they're a team that is very process-oriented. And it's, they become less so. Like 2018, 2019, it was all process. And now they've gotten a little bit more flexible, but they're always thinking in terms of seven games and 48 minutes. We have seven games to play, 48 minutes a night. And they never overemphasize anything, and they never overreact to anything. There's there's one process that I want to get into, one more process that I want to talk about before we take a break. And this this is a take that I want to share to Twitter. So I got to make this fit in like two minutes, and then later in I'll add some more music so it'll be hip. And like all the media, it's, it's about nuggets today. No 15-minute monologues. We got to fit everything into two minutes, so I'm going to try to make this fit for Twitter. I'm just wondering how in the wide world of sports analysts, people who podcast and write and blog, people who are way smarter than me, I don't understand why I have to be the first person to compare the Drew Holiday adjusting to cover Chris Paul after game one to Kawhi Leonard adjusting to cover Giannis after game two of the 2018-2019 Eastern Conference Finals. I think it's super obvious. I think that comparison is just ripe to be talked about. And I haven't heard anyone mention it. And I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have the matchup data. Like, I don't know what percentage of time Drew Holiday spent on it in game one, two, three, four so far. I don't have the data on Kawhi Leonard. I'm sure it's something you subscribe to, like, if I have to pay for Second Spectrum. If anybody has a login, just send it to me. I'll trade you, like, an HBO Max login. It's not mine. It's my mom's, but she won't mind. We just won't tell her. It's fine. 2019 in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Bucks go up 2-0. Giannis... Scores 24, 43% shooting, and 30 on 50% shooting. A pretty good game one, a pretty good game two. The scoring isn't there in volume like it was now, but 24 on 43% and 50% shooting, that's pretty good for a really, really good defensive Toronto team. And after game two, Nick Nurse and Kawhi say, that's it. We have to give Giannis all we can give him. And at the time, that was Kawhi Leonard, who had won two defensive player of the years in 2014, 2015. And at the time, like, the argument was he's the best two-way player in the league. Now he's relied a little bit more on offensively, so he doesn't do quite as much. After that adjustment, Giannis scores 12 points in a double overtime game, mind you. It's not like he didn't have time to score. Shot 31%, he had eight turnovers. It was bad. 
Giannis in game four scores 25 on 52% shooting. It's not great, but there's just not a lot of opportunities for him. Game five, he has 24 shooting 50%, which once again, not amazing, not terrible, but Toronto is just limiting his opportunities. That 24 points, by the way, for Giannis came at a cost because Toronto allowed Eric Bledsoe to go for 20. <laughs> sure, they're still losing sleep over that. Game six, the floor finally drops out. 21 points on 38% shooting. It was bad. Once Kawhi Leonard moved on to him, it really became tough for Giannis. And I just, are we not seeing something similar with Chris Paul? I know it's a different position. And Drew Holiday's a different defender than Kawhi Leonard. And it's going to manifest itself differently over the course of this series. But he had 31 in game two. And since he scored 23, 19, and 10. And he's had six turnovers, four turnovers, and he had five last night. I think this is the same thing we saw in 2018, 2019. One team decided we're going to put our best defender on the other team's best player. We're going to give them all they can handle. And if that doesn't work well, we'll live with the results. And the results have been pretty good for the Bucks ever since the end of game one that saw Chris Paul go for 32. That's been the outlier. Drew Holiday's been terrific. Let's take a break, wrap up the Wisco Sports Show, some final thoughts on the Bucks, and maybe where we're going next into game five now that the series is tied 2-2. Final segment coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. 